Hello and welcome to That Film Stew. I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. In this episode, we've got another movie review, and this time we're looking at Ghostbusters Afterlife. Directed by Jason Reitman, Ghostbusters Afterlife is the supernatural comedy which serves as the sequel to Ghostbusters from 1984 and Ghostbusters 2 from 1989, which were both directed by Jason's father, Ivan Reitman. The movie is out now in most territories, but if you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife yet and you want to, go watch it first before listening to our review. We will be talking spoilers. Jason Reitman co-wrote the screenplay with Gil Keenan. Although the fourth entry in the Ghostbusters film series, this movie disregards the female-driven third installment, which was directed by Paul Feig. Jason, you have the plot. When a single mother, played by Carrie Coon, and her two children, played by Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace, move to a new town, they soon discover they have a connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. Mate, we've watched it. We're talking about it. I am so happy to be doing this here in Australia. We thought we would have to wait until New Year's Day, which is next year. (laughs) America's got it. UK's got it. We were very fortunate. We both entered a competition and both won. Incredible. So we got to see it before the official Australian release day. And yeah, for the longest time, I was thinking this Ghostbusters movie that had been delayed numerous times was due to be released 2021. We'd finally see it 2022, but we got to see it sooner. And I'm glad because we just knew the spoilers would be pouring in. There was bound to be some reveals in this movie that could get spoiled. And I've got to be honest, I did get spoiled a little bit. The main one, it was a action figure two set and it was young phoebe and ghost egon and i was telling myself i'm sure that's not in the movie not all toys are accurate (laughs) and then i saw the image vanity fair put out of the original ghostbusters in their uniforms outside of that i wasn't spoiled what about yourself um i knew i i hadn't seen the image but i had heard that you know, the the OG Ghostbusters were at least at least the three um, remaining alive ones uh, were going to be in this film. And I was like, oh, OK, didn't want to know that. But I mean, I guess it's it's out there. It's official, whatever. Cool. Um, but other than that, I pretty much managed to avoid a lot, even though it has been out for a while. Um, but, you know, like they just kept they just kept putting out like tv spots and trailers and things like that and like i think even when even when we saw like the little marshmallow man i feel like i didn't want to see that but i you know like i was shown it so but i think that would have been a nice surprise but i mean that's just marketing in general i mean that's not spoiler i think i did pretty well um and i'm just so glad that we did get to see it as early um as we could. Unfortunately, my wife could not see it. And I've got to say, she's actually the bigger Ghostbuster fan than me. 
I'm a bit of an asshole. Wow. But, <laughs> I mean, you know what? Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm finding. I, 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 I do. I had no idea. She's just really into him. Not to your level and more than me. But, she, but, you know, we made a choice and she said, no, you go. I'll stay home with the baby. You go take Luke. And then we found out you also won a ticket. So yeah, should, yeah, we, I, yeah, should yeah. we give a shout out to the competition hosts, the the, the ones I behind the screen? If, do you know what? Or I don't are think they I know. Com- yes, we... Are they a competitor of ours? <laughs> well, they're not because they they don't do a podcast. So we're talking about accessreal.com. I'm pretty sure they're Western Australia based, not Australia based. So they're local. And yeah, it was thanks to those guys. We both individually entered the competition. And for an hour, I was so grateful to you and your wife. And to be honest, I'll always be grateful. But for an hour, I was your guest. And I was yeah, so grateful. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And then I checked my emails, and I also won. <laughs> but, um, yeah, accessreal.com. Definitely and then I should to, give uh, a shout-out to those guys. 100%. So thank you to, to those guys there. And I had to scurry and try and find a bloody plus one. Otherwise, I was rocking up by myself. <laughs> so, but I, I, we got well, that's how we watched it. But let's talk about the movie. Yes. You know, we mentioned the son of original Ghostbusters director Ivan Reitman a couple of times. Jason Reitman, he's done things up in the air with George Clooney. Thank you for smoking with, with Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, another one of his. But this isn't his first time. I would say, well, this is his first time making a Ghostbusters film. But in Ghostbusters 2, he was the kid who tells Ray that, according to his dad, the Ghostbusters are full of crap at the <laughs> party at the beginning of the movie. He refers to himself as the first Ghostbusters fan. He was on set of that first movie before anybody knew what Ghostbusters was. So I love the fact that potentially, well, not potentially, the first Ghostbusters fan all these years later is directing his own Ghostbusters movie. There is something, I mean, there definitely, and we've obviously talked about this when we you know, found out that he was going to be um, helming this project, but there's something poetic about, you know, the son of the director of the original first two films sort of kind of carrying on that mantle and delivering this, and let's call it what it is, like this true third um, uh, instalment um, of, the, of the film series. There is something very poetic about that, and... I know you had concerns and we'll get into it all, you know, like with this movie sort of presenting itself as sort of like, you know, Ghostbuster kids, you know, like, oh, we're going to, you know, get the, the, the suits and the, the you know, the, the proton packs and stuff being worn by kids and the movie's going to be very yep. much through the eyes of kids. And you had reservations and I can't wait to find out what I your did. overall thoughts were I did. with that. Yeah. But I thought it was really it's, cool um... because like you said, you know, Jason was on the set as a kid he saw the world of the Ghostbusters through the eyes of a child. And I guess in and a way... And that's the film. Yeah. yeah. He's being able to deliver that and bring us that view that he had. Like, if there was ever a more personal um, connection to the director and what he's actually delivering, I mean, that is what is happening. And I think that is beautiful. I mean, Not again, to say is- the end result is... Beautiful. I'm not saying that it's not. Yes. I'm just saying, just the. the <laughs> well, we'll get to all that. Yeah, just the 
there's there's a magic to it, and that's that's it it's is. nice. But Jason Reitman, one of the writers on the film, and yeah, I just say, you know, being a kid on the set of those first movies, and he had the idea, what would it like if a kid got to be a Ghostbuster? And we're going to get into the Ghostbuster kids. We absolutely will. There's things to talk about before we get there, but we will. What I will say now, a kid wearing adult overalls and rolling up the sleeves wouldn't look as good as it does in the movie. <laughs> It'd still be baggy. I mean, I get it, Finn Wolfhard, tall kid. Quite tall. Very tall kid. Yes. But still, still. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like they just roll up the sleeves and they fit, but that's okay. Movie magic. <laughs> What we're talking about, or you were talking about in the TV spots and the trailers, how much they were showing. And after the 2016 reboot, I kind of get why they're going to want to show things off because they, they, they want to show people that it's connected to that original thing and not the reboot. So I get why they were showing so much in the marketing. Should we talk about, you know, that third film and... I guess the redirection that they took with, with this one and sort of going back to the originals and really. Well, I, I recently rewatched the, well, we can't say third film, the, let's say the 2016 movie. In fact, you know, they, they retitled it themselves when it got to home release Ghostbusters answer the call. I nearly forgot it. Ghostbusters answer the call is the official name of that movie. Initially, it was just Ghostbusters, one word, like that original film. But there's been some distance and, you know, just like in those those first films or that first film, they cast funny actors in the parts. And it works because of that at times. But yeah, it's they tried it. It didn't work as well as they wanted it to. So the reboot's been left. And... Yeah, this movie is very much continuing on from those original films. And whether it's, you know, the visuals or the music, it very much feels one and the same. The composer for Afterlife is Rob Simonson. Now, I don't need to tell you this, but he utilizes material from Elmer Bernstein's score for the first Ghostbusters film. So much of the music in this film, it could have just been that original score. <laughs> you're not, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But I mean, obviously what he's, what he's doing with it and where he's placing bits and how he's cutting it up. He's doing, he's doing his part. <laughs> and he is, of course, he's adding to it and he's setting the scene and he's scoring particular sequences. But Elmer Bernstein did a lot of the heavy lifting in 84. And he's nice hearing it come back. It's just like, remember Superman Returns, John Ottman sampled a lot of the John Williams Superman thing. It's nice to hear it. But yes, to give Samson credit, he's obviously, you know, composing the rest of the film. He was just able to utilise a lot of those classic beats from the original. But you know, I think it, it played such a pivotal role in sort of creating that feel of... Not just, uh, not just like this third film that's sort of in continuity and within the same world and and all that, but also just even though it's set in modern times, 
like a lot of what he's doing with the new music that he's incorporating, like it, it creates like a feel. I felt like I was watching an 80s film. And when I say that, I mean like, you know, like 80s movies, well, not all of them, but, you know, the ones that we love, <laughs> they have this certain almost like adventurous kind of just innocent feel to it and I feel like the music really created that sort of atmosphere in this that this almost could have been made uh, like just a, a year or so after that second film but this just set in the future like it was almost like this was an 80s movie and I, I just the music really just played a key part in making that happen yeah it did it did have that feel and if you go back and you listen to a lot of say John Williams or Jerry Goldsmith, they watching those films, it's like they composed more than not. So a lot of scenes actually had music and it. it's like more modern films. They've really pulled back on that. Mm, Whereas John Williams, subtle, like even, yeah, yeah, more sort of like John Williams, like even like Harry Potter, he composes a lot of the screen time. And, I did notice it with this film, and I've got to be honest, it was distracting at times because you really noticed the music. But as you say, it's it's playing like those first two movies, and they did have a lot of score. And I liked it, don't get me wrong, but I noticed it. Oh, okay. I see I'm sure mean, it's like because it. it's I'm sure it's because it's familiar as well, but I really noticed the music, but it helps set the scene and whether it's the music or the special effects, like they went out of their way to use practical effects where possible. So the use of like animatronics or like smoke machines or ice machines, like when you've got the smoke that's coming from under a doorway, that doesn't really get used now. Like it's often <laughs> CGI. Ecto-1 in the field, that's a car in the field. So mm. I love the fact that they've done what they can to make it feel like it really is that same world. And they've achieved that. It does, like all of those elements sort of uh, together, it just keeps adding to like this. It's almost like, and I, I don't want to bash on that 2016 film too much, even though I could, but it's like, you know, that movie, like, it felt so overproduced, glossy, shiny, bright. And it's like you look at those first two Ghostbusters films and it's like they're not like that. You know, like they're the like when you're talking the humor, like the humor's dry. The the look of New York City is like dank and it's a little bit gritty. And it's like, you know, the colors and the tones of the scenes are, you know, like pretty plain. And then you have this green, like, you know ghosts like floating around and you know like, there's all comical things happening and but it's all very it's dull muted colors it, it, it's it's this atmosphere yeah. and then we get this film and it's like it's doing everything that that 2016 film like wasn't doing it, it's creating well, that sort of yeah i mean this movie is obviously a little bit brighter than those first two but it is more in line it is with tonally yeah just visually uh, with the, the, the practical effects yeah I mean, the 2016 film 
it was it was modern. This is looking for a continuation, and I think by going to small town America, that helps. moving yes. out of New York City, it it does it does help. And, and you know, not just America; it's like here in Australia. If you get out of the cities and the suburbs, and you go to the country, you do feel a little bit like you're ste- stepping back in time. And they were able to achieve that with with this film. I mean, even when you get to high school and you get the introduction of the Paul Rudd character, Gary Groberson or Gorbison? Groberson? I don't know. Groberson? It's a ridiculous name either way. But when you got the introduction of his character and the, the movies that he's choosing to show the kids, like Child's Play and Cujo, it just felt, it didn't feel very current, even though we knew that this film takes place in present day. They found a way of dating the film, but have it be present day. I mean, the poorest character, you know, he makes a bit of a stab joke at the school, like, oh, you know, the, the best technology I've got at this, you know, shitty school is VHS tapes. Like, it's it's like, yeah, well, the school's a little bit behind. So, of course, there, he, there's only, you know, these 80s or previous sort of movies available. And it's funny, you know, the kids are desensitised, like, they had... They're not affected by the fact that this teacher just put on Cujo for them. They're just sitting there yawning. It's like, you know, so there's still, this movie is still very much like modern, but like you said, they set it in a way, positioned it, kind of almost used sleight of hand and trickery to sort of create the illusion that we're in a different time, like we're a little bit, you know, a few decades back, but very much in a modern like it is a modern setting. It's I don't know. It, yeah, it was a creative choice, and I think it yeah. really benefited. It just kept adding to me sitting there feeling like I'm watching an '80s film. Wow, like yeah, it was yeah, it was a very smart way of achieving it. Uh, okay, let's let's talk the Ghostbuster kids. Each one of the main child actors emulates one of the original Ghostbusters. Phoebe is the Egon Spengler character. Podcast is the Ray Stance character. Trevor, the Peter Venkman character. And Lucky is the Winston Zedmore character. Now, they're the comparisons that I guess we can apply. I'm not sure if you will agree with this, but out of the four, I'd say only one of those characters would I actually consider to be a Ghostbuster? And I'm sure if you were to guess, you know who I'm talking about. I'm saying Phoebe Spengler, right? Phoebe Spengler, played by McKenna Grace. Like she's got, even though, you know, they are the clear comparisons of the other new characters, but the kind of their right place or wrong place, wrong time, however you want to look at it, whereas she's the only one that's actively pursuing it and wants it. Trevor's there because he can drive. Podcast (laughs) is there because he's Phoebe's friend and Trevor's got a crush on Lucky. That's the dynamic, but out of the four, Phoebe is the one that's got the strong connection to her grandfather. She's the scientist and for me, she's the Ghostbuster. And I honestly think, I mean, this movie is doing well at the box office and that's without it being out worldwide yet. 
I do think we're going to get more of these. I was really surprised at the opening to see that Ghost Core logo. That was something they introduced for the reboot. And they were planning an animated series that never happened. So very surprised to see the Ghost Core logo. But I think moving forward, McKenna Grace could be the character that comes back and we'll get more of Phoebe. But the others are just tagging along. What do you think? I mean, I'm with you there. I mean, if we were to pick a, a main character, it definitely is Phoebe. Like, McKenna, like this is McKenna Grace's movie. She's on the phone. I mean, yeah, there's the side story with, you know, Finn Wolfhard's character, Trevor, and, you know, like, like you said, Lucky, the, the most love interest um, for him. Podcast does sort of attach himself to, you know, Phoebe as, you know, like obviously her friend, but really it's her, it's her struggles with, sort of fitting in now she's in this new town she wants she's the one driving the story and momentum to find out more about her grandfather and what that's all about and the mystery of you know like his death and and all of that and then you know discovering even though you got trevor with the working on ecto-1 you've got phoebe sort of with the with the proton packs and you know like interacting i guess with what we eventually will find out um is egon you know she's playing chess with him she's you know like following the clues to uncover the you know the the lab and and things like that like she's the one really driving everything in this movie going forward and everybody else is sort of just along for the ride which isn't necessarily a bad thing i guess the one main difference from i guess the structure of the the previous you know original two films is that I guess those were, or at least for the most part, were about four of them, if not, you know, the three main guys. And then it became obviously about the four characters and it was all four of them moving forward together. Each of them, even though, you know, Bill Murray sort of had a little bit more of a presence here and because of his larger personality, everyone sort of had a bit of a moment, like everyone had their, their place. Whereas here, yeah, Phoebe really does, again, not in a negative way, steals the show. She takes the lead and everything sort of revolves around her. But I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I am too. And I've got to be honest, I try to be in so much in the dark about this film. And obviously I'd heard about her casting, but I'd forgot. I'd forgot she was even in it. <laughs> Whether it's the Egon hair or glasses. We've seen McKenna Grace like, over the years pop up in a lot of places like she's done a lot of work and yeah she this is her film this is if we're looking at ghostbusters in this film it is hers and she went one step further she wrote and sang the song that plays over the end credits yeah that's I her. like you like, like, she's you leaned over she's, to me and said that's my kind of grace <laughs> as the credits were playing i was like what Oh, this sounds yeah, like the song adopted house pop it's, star like you know someone that yeah, it's her i couldn't I she's mean, I writing couldn't, the yeah. theme song or the end <laughs> credit song she's performing it she's acting in the film i can honestly see her being the like again i think this movie's doing well enough we're going to see more and i think she's going to be the figurehead of this franchise and if that's the direction they go in, I'm absolutely 
okay with that because again it looked like it was going to be the adventures of the ghostbuster kids and that's what we get in this movie for the most part but it's just a launch pad and the other people although they're suited up they've got the packs and the gadgets they're really assisting her she's Mm. driving it and i guess i could see obviously if they do move forward and and do a little bit more i could see the other kids not necessarily being there oh they don't need to they no, I agree. Other I, kids, I, yeah. or like you know, eventually, as you know, Phoebe does get a little bit older. You know, obviously, not kids anymore. Like there'll be some older people, <laughs> sort of. You know, maybe people like in their yeah, late no, teens, twenties, stuff like that. Like, as well, we... keep in mind, like you know, the originals they started the ghost busting business, and then all these years later, there's been no need for them. You know, these kids. Had never heard of them. Like it wasn't until uh, Gruberson showed them the videotape, and they had no idea. But you can believe that because even now, like not talking about ghosts, but something could have happened in history, or even something could have happened in film, music, whatever. And you'll mention it to somebody, and it didn't happen in their lifetime, and they're like, "Ah, oh, I've never seen it. I've never heard it. I wasn't even born." Now, obviously. The existence of ghosts is bigger than that, but I could buy the reasoning why these kids had not heard of the Ghostbusters. I could yeah. buy into it, but I'm, I'm thinking it. right place, right time, or again, however you want to look at it, they team together. Trevor's helping his sister. So you did have kid Ghostbusters, but if we're going to look at sequels, I think it's going to be not kids. Like you, I mean, we kind of get teased something, which we'll get to later on. But I do think Phoebe is going to stick around and we're going to maybe have some younger characters like we did with the Extreme Ghostbusters animated series. Yeah, we could have a, I don't know, like a, yeah, I mean, we will get to obviously like the, almost like a passing of the torch, but maybe an official, I don't know, like a training unit or something. We'll get to it, we'll get to it all. But look, overall... You know, McKenna Grace is really just, she is fantastic in this. Like, from the get, like, her character is just extremely likable. Um, you know, like, there's, we're, we're dealing with kids and, you know, like, there is a cute aspect that sort of plays into this where it's like, you know, this is adorable. Dude. Look at that, look at it, the little tracksuit with the proton packs, <laughs> you know, but it's like, it still really works real enough like i said you know like those 80s adventure movies you know i'm getting like when uh, phoebe and and podcasts are like sort of you know, un- undercover like uncovering like the mines where you know they've got all like the tombs and stuff under underground it's like my god i feel like i'm watching goonies like there's just like wow this is like magical and well, there's a big set that they're standing on you know like this big cave opening I was just getting good vibes. So just watching this character and her likability and, and all that that comes with it, like I was just having a good time watching this kid do stuff. Yeah, no, me me too. You've just said something there. When you're saying and you saw them and they were stood on a set and it did look like a set. Like when they were underground and you yeah. see the symbols and Gozo and, and everything else, but not, I don't mean that in a bad way, but it was like, you know, to pay a compliment, watching something like Indiana Jones. Yes. Like- it was that level of filmmaking, but in, in a good way. 
Like it looked like a set, but it's because you could see that they there was a place and they were really there. It didn't look like a green screen. It looked like they built something and the kids were stood there. And it, yeah, it did have that Goonies vibe to it. Well, let's talk some of the grown-ups. I don't want to quite talk about the OG Ghostbusters yet. So let's, I mean, we mentioned him already. Gary Gruberson, played by Paul Rudd. And do you know what? And this, this is not a negative. It's Paul Rudd being Paul Rudd. Nobody does it better. Like, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is yeah. not a negative. I'm this like, is not a negative I at all. Get it completely. Paul Rudd in this is Paul Rudd in most things, to be honest. But he does it so well. And it's something that everybody can do. He does it so well. And honestly, I was trying to find the quote online and I just couldn't. Like, because again, we watched this movie together and said afterwards, like, for me, Paul Rudd, <laughs> wait, wait, the funniest I don't line know. I don't in the movie. It's like, what, what is it like? My feet hurt from galloping or something. My yes. So and, it from is, galloping. <laughs> <laughs> and it's after being turned into a terror dog. Yeah, because, you know, and, and this is apparent as well. Like, I mean, I didn't know we were getting Gozer and Terror Dogs. I really didn't. So that was a pleasant surprise. But so going into it, I didn't think, oh, okay, maybe Paul Rudd is going to be the Lewis Tully type of character or, you know, the equivalent is going to turn to a Terror Dog and Carrie Coon playing the mother would be the Dana Barrett from the original. I didn't see that transition happening. But when they are saved in the original movie, that's the end of the film. You don't really get too much dialogue after that. So it was good that we got more in this film. And yeah, arms tied from galloping. Hilarious. Like that was easily the best line or the funniest line in the movie. But it was a very Paul Rudd performance. And I I was happy to see that from him. You know, there is a reference to the Rick Moranis character, the Walmart scene where you get the mini stay puffs and they're attacking him when he's running away and he's being chased by the terror, terror dog, the same tracksuit that Moranis wore in Ghostbusters can be seen. Oh, I like it. So there's little yeah. nods. Like when they're at the farmhouse, you see the toaster from Ghostbusters 2 and there's various other the objects that they've they've included, which is pretty cool. But yes, we knew we were going to get Paul Rudd. The big surprise for me was Carrie Coon playing the mum. Why was that a surprise to you? Well, I'd seen him in things. <laughs> what was it? Season two of The Sinner. Okay, right. He yeah. was... Um, working for Thanos in an Avengers film or a couple of Avengers films. I'd not seen too much of her, but I thought she was excellent in this. She was quirky enough. She was really endearing as a struggling parent, a single parent of two kids. We knew, or I knew from the trailer, she was going to be the daughter of Egon. It was a, a strained relationship, but yeah, even when the film was happening, you know, mentioning that 
she essentially becomes the Dana Barrett substitute to see her in that classic orange dress. I thought she was she was great. But again, I guess why I was surprised is I didn't really have too much to base her on from previous performances, but I thought she was great in this. I mean, I should have looked into it, for, not, not looked into it, but maybe thought about it a little bit more. Um, obviously, you're yeah, finding out that she was the daughter of Egon, but then obviously you see Phoebe and you know that, you know, Phoebe is more of the, you know, like obviously she's inherited the the Egonisms of um you know in the in the Spengler family line so I, I think in my mind I was thinking oh like the mom's gonna be there as you know you know the reason they go to that farm and stuff like that for whatever other reason you know but I didn't think she was going to be integrated into the story because I thought you know the kids are going to be driving the whole thing and it's it's going to go from there and I figured the mom will just be there as the mom and I thought maybe you know like Paul Rudd's going to play more of a role with the kids doing things and you know maybe being like the adult aspect of it but the fact that they had those two characters i mean literally paired up they they paired them up they did that which oh, i'm all for it they played they played with their sort of romantic side a little bit there which was cool um but, but I, yeah i just love that they actually used the mum for a reason and i guess yeah in that dana barrett sort of role um up against gozer and all like it it you know, we got the classic, you know, like, are you the gatekeeper or the key master or whichever way it goes around? Key master, doesn't matter. To you, it probably matters. Yes, <laughs> yeah, well, gatekeeper, key master, they come yeah. together. It doesn't matter which in which order. They just need to find each other. I feel like but the, yeah, but I didn't the realize... male is the key master, right? It's a very sexual thing. I mean, that tracks. <laughs> that does track. Yes. Yeah, so I guess that's part of it for me as well. Just the same as you, I didn't realise how a part of it she would be. Mm. I thought, like say, she was going to bring them to the farm and that was going to be it, whereas she's very much a part of it. And we should say her character is Callie Spengler. And she felt her whole life that her dad didn't want her. And then you find out that he saw a threat coming he tried to warn the rest of the ghostbusters they thought he was off his rocker basically and stopped answering his calls and he just waited and sacrificed a relationship with his family at no point do we find out who callie's mom is i guess going in we're thinking maybe it's janine but that's more history of the real Ghostbusters animated series because you look at Ghostbusters 2 Janine is with with Lewis Tully but we don't know we don't know who the mum is and that's okay because the story isn't about that but when she sees all the pictures and she finds that Egon had been tracking her through her life yeah there was a there was a nice a nice moment there yes the 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 movie does you know, like delve into this father-daughter relationship. Quite, I mean, they handle it pretty well. I mean, it's all everything that like sort of Kelly's dealing with is it's all very much resentment and like, you know, sort of like, you know, being let down. And like you said, all the things that she's struggling with now. And yeah, you get that moment where she eventually does see 
all of the photos and stuff because it was it was a point that she made where it was like not one photo of me the kids anything in this house she ends up in that you know like down in that lab and she sees like the mural the celebration of of her life sort of through photos that that egon had, had put up and it's like damn like this is this movie is going to like yeah. you know sensitive places here we're getting very emotive and i guess that's the starting point of like okay we, we we're gonna get to some heavy stuff and we will get to the heavier things but no this movie does not you know away what? from any of that what we're just talking about here is an example why after all these years bill movie finally said yes to coming back as Peter Venkman because this movie had it all. It had substance. It had the comedy, but it had heart. It had character-driven moments, and that's what brought Murray back. Mm. And, yeah, Carrie Coon is getting a lot of that. But you mentioned in the lab as well. What we also see, as well as pictures of Callie, we get to see Egon's collections of spores and fungi, <laughs> which he talked about in, I think, the first Ghostbusters movie when he's talking to Janine about the things that, that he collects. So that was nice. I enjoyed the the throwbacks to the other movies, mainly the first movie, but, yeah, I did, I did enjoy those. And, well, let's talk Egon because we do see him. He's in the movie and... How they actually achieve that, first off, it is a stunt double. We've got Bob Gunton and Ivan Reitman, the director of those first two movies, serving as body doubles. So that's when it's him in the opening, he's on the farm, and then when you get the astral or the ghost version of him later on. But then we see archival clips at the end. It was an interesting approach, wasn't it? Because for me, one of the last appearances from Harold Ramis was Seth Rogen's dad in Knocked Up. And that was the older Harold Ramis. And what they've done in this film, they've aged up how he looked in those first two movies. Which you've seen knocked up, you know that yeah, Harold yeah. Ramis, he wasn't quite the tall, stick thin guy anymore. <laughs> so they, you know, the different approach and they wanted to age up how we knew him from those first two films, which I think was was a good approach. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that would appeal to the familiarity, like the to the familiar. If you if you didn't know sort of how he actually did age and <laughs> sort of grew as a human being, you know, nature. Um, I think it, it worked because, like, it did work. And do you, do you know what? Like, any any sort of theory or idea of what a third, like, a true third Ghostbusters film would be with, you know, like, with the returning cast. I mean, the elephant in the room is, as all you know, for the since his passing, has been. Oh, how do you move around the, you know, the, the death of Harold Ramis and, you know not including him in the movie. You know, like the 2016 film, they did it by having a, a statue of, you know, his head. All right, cool. This movie is very much the focus is around, you know, like that character and that actor. 
and I, I thought as this movie started, I was like, okay, cool. Like, wow, like we're gonna we're gonna see the character, but like we're never gonna see his face. We're gonna see stand-ins. We're gonna see the illusion of him, and you know, like oh, you see his hair or like a bit of his like a, his beard, and you're like, oh yeah, I believe that that's him. I can sort of see it without seeing it. And I thought, cool, if that's what they do, like if that's all they're doing with it, they've pulled it off. Like I truly believe he was there, even though he wasn't. But it, but it really worked for me. But then they, yeah, me too. I yeah, mean, yeah, they absolutely pulled it off. I mean, in the opening, they went out of their way not to show you his face. Yes, yes, they showed you enough for you to know. Well, this is Egon. We know yeah, this that's is Egon. Egon for sure. But when you actually see the actor and it's CGI, it's it's a ghost. So it's not like in Rogue One, where they digitally brought back Carrie Fisher as Leia. It looks a lot more convincing because they're going for a ghost effect and it was a nice touch. And again, I'd seen the toy. Had a good idea. <laughs> that is... It that, was going to happen. When you told me that after uh, watching the movie, I was like, oh, man. Oh, man. But, but like, again, I didn't were... completely believe it because... Some toys are just toys. That's right. That's it's right. just, you know, it's a different outfit. It's a different this. It's a well, character yeah, no, that no, might no. not even be in the film. You can't always read into it. But it, his appearance in the film and the portrayal was with the permission of his family. His daughter, who's been very vocal over the years, she released a book a couple of years ago about being the daughter of Egon and all about his career and his, you know, him being a parent. So they, they got consent from the family, which you'd imagine they'd have to. But what I thought was an incredibly nice touch is not at the end, no. but during the film in that third act where they dedicate the film to him. Yeah, it's like, it's like his, his ghost essentially moves on, like everything's said and done and it sort of like he dusts away into the, into the night sky and then the words appear on the screen. For Harold, I believe it was oh, for Harold. That was oh, yes, it. that's it. Nothing yeah. else. And we've like, seen it many times, always at the end. But it just felt so fitting, as you say. The character of Egon, he came back as a ghost to not just assist his teammates, his friends, but his his granddaughter Phoebe. It was such a good moment. And then, and then just during the film for Harold, I thought it was beautiful. It was such that was, a nice it, touch. It really was. I mean, like just thinking about it now, I'm actually getting like a little bit like emotional again after watching. I mean, I didn't, I didn't cry or anything, but in the movie, I was like, damn it, this movie's doing stuff to me. Like, it, it's so crazy that they, I mean, no wonder the family sort of signed off on, on make like allowing this to happen because what they're doing, like, I mean, for the most part, they, they, they kind of present the Egon character as like, look, he grew up to be a bit of an asshole. Obviously we find out that there was a reason why he was, you know, he left everyone behind and what he was actually doing and, you know, the reasons for it. And by the end of it, it's like, 
they do nothing but celebrate that character and you know like he's yeah he's yeah well that's it. well he he celebrates his own life and time with his family for the greater good and for the rest of the town he's the dirt farm <laughs> because he never grows anything <laughs> he comes into the tool shop he orders things buys things never grows anything that's it but let's talk about let's talk about the original or the other original ghostbusters we get this scene when phoebe's in jail in she phones ray's occult bookstore and there's some good exchanges there we get quite a bit of dan Aykroyd. that's cool and she's saying we're in trouble i'm egon's granddaughter i need help i'm in jail and that's cool isn't it can i be honest from from that point and the original ghostbusters just turning up absolutely out of the blue is a ding for me i like you i've been on board enjoying the ride this is great nostalgia <laughs> i'm getting the goonies vibe everything's working for me the kids are great the addition of paul rudd and carrie coon i'm enjoying all of this it just feels like to me there's some missing scenes we hear about the success that peter venkman is having we hear we hear about things but then it cuts to that shot and it's the image that i saw in vanity fair of the three originals in a line with proton packs here to assist and it just comes out of nowhere there's dialogue in the movie how egon he took everything with him yeah the jumpsuits the equipment he took everything so they were left stranded even if they wanted and they didn't know where they were either if they wanted to continue in the ghost busting business they couldn't because egon has everything the jumpsuits the kids are wearing the packs the kids are using where do the originals get their equipment from yes it doesn't, it doesn't. i like that they're there i really well i mean again i i don't know because on one hand of course i like that they're there i want them to be there but it should have been more of a reveal the phone call to ray was excellent that was good and if anyone was going to bring them back together it would be ray yeah. i buy that completely but how cool would it have i mean even if it's just ray dan Aykroyd making phone calls they just turn up they're just there and again i wanted them there yeah but i wanted more of a reveal how long have we waited since ghostbusters 2 to get them back in the jumpsuits with the packs and it just it just happens <laughs> and all you can think about is is like where did they get their jumpsuits from where did they get the proton packs from like it I'm, just comes it yeah. comes out of nowhere and again it's a combination of i really like this and this was just too out of the blue yeah no i mean i guess what where do i start with with like with that final fight you know like you've got 
you know, like Phoebe doing her thing. You've got the other kid Ghostbusters like doing stuff. They get knocked down. Like they're kind of succeeding. I was worried because basically I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, the OG Ghostbusters are going to rock up at some point and save the day. Like that's just what's gonna, that's what's going to happen. How they handled, I guess, and I'll, I'll, we'll go back to like the phone call and stuff in a sec, but how they handled um, like Final Fight and not overshadowing, I guess, the achievement of the kids and mainly like Phoebe, you know, kind of kicking ass and saving the day, I think was really handled really well because they managed to have her do enough that it was like, oh my God, she's doing this. But then almost like, okay, yeah, she needs an assist. You get the OG Ghostbusters um, and they do their part. But even then it's like, it still goes back to the kids having to actually have the final, almost like the final swing. Like, and, and, and it's still their achievement at the end of the day when everything's said and done, which makes it still their movie. It's still for them to have the win. And I liked how the, the OG ones didn't necessarily overshadow in terms of the achievement, but their presence was still pretty epic, all of that. So just to start with that positive, that was all handled really well. And I get the movie obviously wanted to have them show up, you know, like how I expected, like just show up in the nick of time to, and they're like, whoa, this is epic. This is amazing. Cool. Of course that was going to happen. If we go back to the phone call, as you know, like it was cool to you know have him have Dan Aykroyd pick up the phone and uh, you know like talk to talk to this girl. I just feel like it was very exposition dumpy, like rather than like you said, rather than showing us things, it was hey, here's a quick catch up on where all of these original characters are, just so you know for context. And then, yeah, it was a little bit jarring. Like, you just have to pretend and, like, imagine in your mind, okay, what's now happening whilst we're watching the rest of this movie, like, play out? What's Dan Aykroyd doing? Is he calling? Or what's Ray doing? I should say, what's Ray doing? Is he calling the rest of them? The okay, okay, right, okay. Like, it does... I, I've, I've, I've listened, and I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I, for the most I part, no, really I mean, do. Well, the reason why I've I jumped in <laughs> is the moment you're talking about right now is because this, again, is a new generation. I mm. get it, but it's a continuation of one and two. We've waited. I've waited since the 80s for a continuation. With They're giving it to us, which is amazing. Yes. We get to see the originals turn up. But after all this time, why are we still, you're saying we have to think or this happened or yeah, this no. was said. And the, uh, it should have been in the movie. It should. It, it, that, it that's should my thing. Like, I really like and agree that the originals shouldn't show up and just take over because Phoebe Spengler especially has earned her position and it should still be her adventure and the others are turning up to assist. So I like the way that all plays out, but there's just there's gaps it's like yeah, this how deleted scene that we've how yet they... to be seen. That's my only thing. They, but but on one hand, it's like this film has given us so much. But I'm like, yeah, but give me a bit more. I just, it's like we we knew. I mean, come on, we we knew that the originals was going to turn up, but we didn't quite know how it was going to happen. Mm. Honestly, if you were to ask me, my guess wouldn't be that they just turn up. That wouldn't have been my <laughs> guess. On like my top well, three, 
introductions or reintroductions it wouldn't because it wouldn't be that yeah, we're on the same page like where we were asking okay we know they show up but how and when they do show up it's cool and it's handled perfectly when they do show up but it's still yeah but how and why like like what convinced like what convinced the others to to go along how did they know where to go where did they get i mean like we saw many questions we saw with ray with ray the look on acroid's face the end of the phone call with phoebe something clicked great he's on board like we've got him well, yeah, yeah, he's a board. What <laughs> would one phone call? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, he started the whole thing. Yeah. But would one phone call from Ray to Peter have him turn up? Same with Winston. Would that be an it just I don't know. Like I feel like there should have been more. I mean, does he does it ruin the film for me? Absolutely. No, not. but like I still had such a good time. Definitely. But, is it something missing there because it's kind of like everything up until that point great brilliant i'm on board and then they turn up and then everything after that great i'm really enjoying this but there's just that piece that's missing it'd be like i'm guessing it's going to be a deleted scene surely (laughs) maybe maybe Or Or, or maybe they just wrote it and was like it doesn't like oh the audience will work it out you know, no, it's not. I, I don't buy it. No, I, I can't it's buy too- that. It's, mate, it's too big of a deal. The original. <laughs> I mean, we've mentioned the reboot a number of times. The actors are in that playing different roles. That was novel. That was fun. But all these years <laughs> later, the back is Ghostbusters, mm. and it just happens. It just happens. Do you know what would- and they didn't have any equipment. Do you know it would have worked really well? Like. Race okay, like you you get a you get a couple of scenes of like not like long drawn out ones, but just Ray sort of calling and maybe Peter being a little bit standoffish and being like, like, no Ray, it's not gonna happen. No, you know, classic Bill Murray kind of just bluntness. Um maybe and then obviously a couple of conversations, like something actually does get through to him. And maybe like, I don't know, Janine, who we had, you know, had had shown up earlier in the film. Of course, Annie Potts is back as Janine. Maybe she had like a spare couple of jumpsuits or or something that maybe you know Egon had given to her, like in case of emergency. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, do you know what? I agree. Something. Maybe, but we but shouldn't be having this conversation. No, yes. We shouldn't be speculating. It should be in the movie. Okay, let's. I mean, we're happy they're back. It's just, it comes out of nowhere. But when they are back, let's talk some more of the good things that happen in this movie. Goza, who I've got to say, I only found out yesterday, is played by Olivia Wilde. Yeah, I had no idea. Did you know when you were watching the movie that was Olivia Wilde? I mean, I I knew it looked like her. So I kind of just guessed it. I I missed it because there is there's a couple of uncredited performers. We've got Olivia Wilde as Goza the Gazarian, J.K. Simmons as Ivo Shandor. Yeah, that which was, is that was weird. Mental. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Ivo Shandor, he was the, the I'm pretty sure he was the architect for 
Dana Barrett's building in the original movie <laughs> and is here for like a minute and then he's gone. And although there's no, I'd say no, no spoken words, we've got Josh Gad as Muncher, who is, I guess, the new Slimer. I was honestly surprised not to see Slimer in this movie, but it wasn't present. Instead, we get Josh Gad as Muncher, a fun character, I guess, and he and he played a part. He helped them get free when they were behind bars. <laughs> oh, but like going metal. back to... Yes, going back to Goza. Once again, Goza asks Ray if he's a god. <laughs> Just like in that first movie, whereas this time he says yes. He's like, <laughs> finally. But Winston gives him that look when he doesn't automatically say yes. That was a, that was a cool moment. Oh, and in this film, Winston is referred to as being a doctor which he very much wasn't in in those first two films. So somewhere in between, as well as being a very successful businessman, he now has a PhD. So there you go. All four original Ghostbusters are now doctors. Trying to take something away from the character. I know it's like obviously, you know, it, it, it betters the character, I guess, for being a doctor. But I think in a way it's like, oh, that was his thing though. He wasn't one of the scientists. <laughs> he, he wasn't. I know, but he's... I, li- I mean, I do like... I mean, he is still, although now more successful than any of them, he is still the everyman. I mean, Winston has still got that quality about him. I always liked him as a character. You know, I mean, over the years, you know, watching the movies the animated series, reading the comic books. And what they had in the comics is that before being a Ghostbuster, he was a Marine. So he had tactical experience, which I thought was was pretty cool. But in the movies, they're going in a different direction. They've had him now be a successful businessman. I mean, he's the guy that is paying for Ray's bookshop which has yet to turn a profit. So he's keeping him in business, which is um, pretty cool. <laughs> and we get that in a post credit scene where it's Winston and Janine having a conversation. And do you know, actually, one more thing, what I did hear before watching this film, in interviews, Ernie Hudson had said what he would like, the role he would like to play in future Ghostbusters movies would be the Nick Fury type character. (laughs) And I can't, okay, so I heard that going in and after seeing that post-credit scene, yeah, absolutely see that. I mean, it's mentioned by Ray that the firehouse is now a Starbucks. That's upsetting. (laughs) Funny at the same time, but it's like, oh, yeah, it's been, it's been taken over. Um, yeah, so Winston's doing well for himself. And I think if, again, this movie is successful enough and they're going to do sequels, I think we could be looking at Ernie Hudson and McKenna Grace driving the franchise together. <laughs> yeah, McKenna Grace is our, is our Tony Stark. And... <laughs> 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I could see could see that happening. Yeah, Ghostbusters oh, actually, initiative. All right, bring it on. Hey, there we go. <laughs> but before that, we actually we get another another scene, a mid credit scene. Sigourney Weaver makes a cameo, testing Peter Venkman and his psychic powers using the same psychic electroshock machine and pattern cards that he used in eighty four films. And she's shocking him. That's a good gag. You know, he's she's getting revenge on all the male students that he shocked in in that first film. But I thought we'd got to the end without Sigourney Weaver. So that was a nice reveal in the mid credits thing. I think it might have been my mate that I brought to the movies, or it might have just been someone in you know, like sitting around us. But I, I'm pretty sure as the credits started rolling, and it was seconds before that mid credits started playing, they said, like, ah. Oh, where was Sigourney Weaver? And then that, that mid-credits just starts playing, and there she is. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so Honestly, I'll, I'll tell you, because I heard him as well. It was your mate that you brought. It was. Okay, sure. The same person that was speculating that Paul Rudd was baby Oscar from Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> hey, he knew nothing about this movie. I mean, he knew Ghostbusters, <laughs> but um, he obviously you know, he doesn't follow things like us and obviously was trying to stay away. From stuff and didn't know who Paul Rudd was playing, but um, wouldn't that have been? Oh my god, that just made me think. Maybe Oscar is out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I mean it would be other day, but that was that was cool. I mean, everybody Oscar. came, everybody came back except for Rick Moranis. Still, yeah, I mean, you know we what? know it, it would have been. He's coming out of retirement. I know it would have been nice, I reckon. For, I know Ghostbusters isn't like his main thing, you know, that he's known for, but I think it would have been cool to see him. Honestly, I think, I think this movie like, deserves is worthy of it. That's- yeah, but the thing is, though, right? So, unlike that 2016 movie, and I've been speculating on and off, this is this is the start of something. This is going to be the start of more Ghostbusters movies. They wanted it with that reboot film. It didn't happen. But this is a really good film, great balance of nostalgia. And if we don't get him in this film, there's an opportunity for Rick Moranis to come back in a later sequel. And at that point, it have officially come out of retirement for the new <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids films for Disney Plus, also starring Josh Gad. So there you go. That could be <laughs> hey, as out of retirement. Yeah, Muncher and Lewis Tully, side by side, father and son. I've never been as hopeful for more Ghostbusters content as I am right now on the back of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think Ghostbusters is no, it's just always been something where it's like, ah, you know, they're always talking about wanting to do a new one. And I guess, you know, when we did get a new one, it really wasn't that good. So it was sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, they'll just leave it or they'll just keep butchering it. And you, you never thought they would do achieve, uh, basically do what, they, what they've achieved here which is make a pretty damn good Ghostbusters movie. And when I say that, I mean 
a Ghostbusters movie. I think this is it's worthy of of being that third film in continuity in the series, a sequel to Ghostbusters two. Like it's, I think they've done it and they've done it well. I'm surprised. <laughs> like I am genuinely surprised, but pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly but on that. If you're going to rate this movie out of five. I mean, I felt I felt so good coming out of this, and um, uh, I was thinking I was going to go full, I was going to go all out. But you know, I, I keep thinking about the fact of, like you, you mentioned, like the missing scenes, if you want to call it, the the unanswered questions of, like, how did they get there, and how did they get all this stuff, even though delivered well, it was like. There's that missing part of the movie, so you have to think some point. But look, that aside, if I overlook that, I really loved almost everything about this movie, like the characters and what they were doing with them. McKenna Grace as Phoebe, fantastic. Um, the mum, Paul Rudd's character, you know, he's not the lead in this movie, and I think that's perfect for the type of character that he's presenting to us. Um, they just really captured the feel of the 80s, the, the, the original two Ghostbusters films. I don't know. I really couldn't ask for anything better except for give me some bloody answers to how they got those proton bags. Where did they, where did they come from? Unless, again, only if I speculate, they hijacked the lab seconds before jumping up to the... doesn't matter. Um, I'm going to come in at a, at a glorious 4.5. I still think this movie is fantastic. I have to ding just a little bit for the um, just the, I guess the the laziness of getting the Ghostbusters back together and um, delivering them to us. I don't even think it's laziness. There's something must have been there and they've removed it for whatever reason. But my my rating is exactly the same as yours. Yeah, I went in hoping for a five. I probably do in most movies, to be fair. Like, you want every movie well, to be the best yeah. movie. But I really wanted a good Ghostbusters film, and they, they've they delivered that with this film. You know, again, there is the connection to the original director. His son is now writing and directing this film. But it, it's, it's more than that. Like, for the most part, this film is really working. It is so much fun. I'd said to you, and I mentioned on the podcast, I was concerned about Ghostbuster Kids, but the film's a lot more than that. But it is a 4.5 out of 5. It's not a perfect 5. And it's just the Ghostbusters turning up out of nowhere. It should have been a big heroic moment. And it is still great having them there, but it feels like we're missing a thing. It's like listening to a song it skips like we're just on to the next thing no it's explanation like, it's like watching avengers endgame and seeing the portal scene without seeing hulk snap his fingers yeah. like well, wait, it, when no, did they is, all get back like that when did they get back it, <laughs> it's avengers endgame instead of seeing the heroes come through the portals they're just there already that is exactly what it is good comparison <laughs> i was still That's thinking we get with this movie. The portals but no, like, because they don't. I mean, they don't come through the portals. They're just there. 
They just stood there firing the product back to anyway. Anyway, it is a <laughs> it's a four point five out of five. Like it's still I mean, amazing. it's it is. You know, it, it really is. And I'm really looking forward to watching it again and buying the Blu-ray and all of that. It is it is a good film and it's what we could have hoped it was. But again, just clearly been a little bit disappointed about one part of it. But every other aspect of the film is bloody great. It is such a good film. And as you've said in the opening, we went to a screening that was put on by Axis Real. And as well as them being there, the WA Ghostbusters were also present, which is always cool to see those guys with their, you know, film accurate jumpsuits, proton packs. So all in all, it was a good experience at the cinema and a good film. I'm so happy yes. they've made a good Ghostbusters film. I mean, yeah, I almost can't believe it, but I cannot wait to have my wife watch it so I can then talk to her about because, like, you know, I got home and. You know, she had told me before I left to, you know, come watch this movie. She was like, just don't tell me if it's good or bad. Like, just don't tell me. And I got home and she was like, so how was it? And I was like, oh, well, you know, trying to play it cool. <laughs> and she was like, just just tell me. <laughs> and I was like, it was like the best thing ever. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. Five out of five. No, no, calm down. It was no, 4.5 no. out of five, out of five. But it was the best thing. <laughs> no, I've, I've still been pretty coy it about it. So, yeah, look, I can't wait for her to actually be able to watch it so then I can talk to her about it because... To be honest, I haven't been able to talk to anyone um, until right now. So, you know, these are always very therapeutic for me. Thank you very much, Luke. Uh, um, you're welcome. <laughs> well, as Ooh, always, we'd like, like to close out on <laughs> on some on some trivia. In the years between Ghostbusters 84 and Ghostbusters 2, the real Ghostbusters, which first aired in 86, introduced the idea that Slimer was living at the firehouse as the Ghostbusters pet. Because the original film and the cartoon series were so popular with children, they put Slimer in Ghostbusters 2. It's why he turns up again. It's why Ghostbusters 2 is a little bit more kid-friendly because of the success of that first movie in the animated series. What? But still, no Slimer in this film. Although we didn't, at least we didn't get Mrs. Slimer. Remember in the reboot? Anyway, that's the last yeah. time we're going to bring up the maybe, reboot. Maybe Slimer's busy, you know, haunting that Starbucks. Maybe, maybe. Is- Hopefully, my <laughs> house comes back. Well, that's it for our review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Please go subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And please leave us a review. It helps listeners just like you find the podcast. We're on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as that Film Street Podcast. And we also have our companion shows, Rewind and Review and Sounds Like Comics, which each have their own Facebook pages. If you missed it, we recently reviewed Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and 8-Bit Christmas. And keep an eye out for our next review. Oh, here we go. Spider-Man, No Way Home. You've been listening to Luke and Jason, the guys from that film, Stu. See you soon.